are in the book of John, chapter 20. We're going to talk about the resurrection. And this is normally an Easter Sunday, right? This is what we talk about on Easter Sunday. Because Sunday came, I got a, I, a little, little story here. I get this letter in the mail the other day. It's not signed, it's from a national organization. And they, they were berating us because we meet on Sunday. Because that was, you know, the Sabbath has never been, you know, we should meet on Saturday. And, and I was like, well, I don't know about you, but Sunday is what's important. We're no longer celebrating the Jewish tradition. We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he rose on a Sunday. Amen? And I'm not ashamed of meeting on Sunday because every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. And we ought to, we ought to think that way. Well, we're going to look at John. And John doesn't give us, uh, if you want to have an interesting study, look at the chronology of the resurrection because people are coming and people are going and different people are interacting at different times with some with angels some with Jesus, some, some with other people. And it's an exciting time. I mean, this is, remember the chaos of the trials and, the, and, and all of that that took place with Jesus? Resurrection morning was not peaceful. It started out with an earthquake. It started out with, with the, the angels coming to roll the stone away to show us that Jesus was already gone. They didn't roll the stone away so he could get out. He was already out. He had already arisen. It was an amazing morning. And we're going to look at what John talks about. John talks about four different people who had interactions that morning and what it took for them to come to the point where they believed that the resurrection was true. And some of them would actually leave that morning disappointed. They weren't sure. But some of them would believe. And that's the way it is with life. That's the way it is with the people that we interact with. You see, I could tell people about my testimony, about how I came to Jesus, and they're like going, well, that's not enough to convince me. Different people need to be approached in different ways because they will come to Christ in, by different means. Not that there's, they'll all come through the cross, but they've got to get to the cross in the way they best receive it. So that's what we're going to look at this morning from John chapter 20 as we look at these different people and how they each responded to the resurrection. So let's begin by reading verses 1 through 18 of John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the tomb already saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, John, 
and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the face cloth which has been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who was first to come to the tomb then also entered And he saw and believed. And as they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Then, she, then she had, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which is teacher, And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. And Mary came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Wow, what a morning. What a morning that was. The first thing I want to talk about is Mary Magdalene. See, Mary Magdalene loved Jesus. She really did. I want you to think about it. She got up and, it, and other gospels tell us about several of the other of the ladies that came with her that morning. It says before the sun was even up. They were headed to the tomb. They had, they had gathered all the spices that it took to embalm Jesus, as was the Jewish tradition. And they were thinking, who's going to roll back the stone for us? You see, what had happened? The Romans were there. The Roman guard was there because the chief priest said, oh, those, those nasty disciples will come and they'll steal his body. And so... While that, two, while that stone was there, they sealed it by Pilate's ring, and then they placed a guard there. But the, Rome, the ladies knew the Romans aren't going to help us. 
Matter of fact, I'm not really sure how we're going to break the seal. But maybe if the Romans are there, they will let us do what we need to do. But who's going to roll away the stone for us? They weren't sure. But they went on. Because Mary loved Jesus. And why wouldn't Mary love Jesus? Because who is she? She's a woman that in Luke chapter 6 talks about she had seven demons. And one day she met a man by the name of Jesus. And he said, come forth, leave her alone. And he cast out those seven demons. Can you imagine what that was like? Can you imagine what it was like to live with seven demons in her? I mean, we have stories that are told, accounts in the, in the Gospels about people who were demon-possessed and they would be thrown down into fires and they would, they would have, have superhuman strength and, and hurt themselves. They would cut themselves with stones. Some of them were chained up because they were so violent. And Jesus had set her free from all of that. And she probably came from a wealthy home because it says that she traveled with Jesus from the time that he cast those demons out. She traveled with Jesus and helped support him and the apostles as they traveled around. Because she'd been restored, right? God didn't throw her away. He restored her that day. And she loved him. In Luke chapter 7, there's another story about a lady who was a prostitute. One day Jesus was at Simon the Pharisee's house having supper. And this prostitute comes in and she goes to the feet of Jesus. And she begins to take the alabaster flask. And she pours it on his feet and anoints his feet. She begins to weep so that her tears are falling on his feet. And she wipes them with her, with her hair. And Jesus talking to Simon, because Simon's like, doesn't Jesus know who that is? Doesn't he know that she's a prostitute? If he were the son of God, he would know these things. He didn't say those things. He was just thanking them. And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, says this in Luke 7, 47. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. She loved much. Mary Magdalene loved much because she had been forgiven much. She had allowed somehow to have seven demons in her. And God said, I love you more than you can imagine, and I'm going to cast those demons out. You see, Mary loved Jesus. But I want you to understand, Mary's love was not enough for her to believe that Jesus had ridden, did you, risen. Did you see what her response was as she came to the tomb? It was still dark. Verse 1, And she saw the Tone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter. 
She didn't look inside the tomb the first time she got there. All she saw was the stone was rolled away. The Roman soldiers were gone. What did she think? Look at the next verse. She says to them, They, who's they? The Roman soldiers. They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they laid him. They've stolen the body of the Lord. She doesn't have enough faith to say, He's risen! All she knows is somebody's stolen the body of somebody that she loved. You see, love is not enough to believe. Faith comes when you personally get involved, and we're going to see that. Look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. Mary runs, tells Peter and John, Peter and John run back to the tomb. They have their encounter with the angels. Then they leave and go home, and Mary comes back. Verse 11. But Mary, standing outside the tomb, weeping, and so she wept, she stooped and looked inside the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one on the head and one on the feet, and where the body of Jesus had been laying. And he said to her, Woman, and they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she still doesn't have the faith. Because she says what? Because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. I don't know where they've taken him. She's talking to an angel. That should be a little wake up call. But she still doesn't have the faith she needs to believe in the resurrection. She turns. Remember what she's doing. She's weeping. Have you ever been weeping so hard that you can't see? You know, you're listening to the radio. If you ever see me pulled to the side of the road, turn, turn to, to K-Hope and K-Happy, or K-Hope, I guess it is, 107.9. 107.9. Turn to 107.9 and listen to what they're playing, because that's probably what's happened. Because there are times when God just floods me with, with what he's saying through a music. And I literally can't drive anymore. I need to pull to the side of the road because, because my windshield wipers don't take that away. <laughs> I need windshield wipers on my eyeballs, right? She's weeping. She turns. Jesus is there. All she sees is a form. She thinks he's the gardener. What have you... Did you steal him? Did you take his body? Just let me know I want to take care of the one I love. But then what happens? He says to her one word. Mary? That's all he says. That's all it took. I imagine her mind goes back to that day when he said, Mary, I'm going to take these seven demons out of you. 
Mary, thank you for dinner. Mary, thank you for being here to minister to these women that are coming to see me that just need somebody to pray with them. You ever, you know, that's a ministry. When people respond and, they, and, and God is working in their heart just to have somebody come and kneel next to them or sit next to them and pray with them, that's a huge ministry. And I'm sure that that's part of what Mary did when she was following Jesus around. All she said was one word, was Mary. Mary had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. You see, it wasn't enough to love God. It wasn't enough to love Jesus himself. It took him speaking to her. And you've probably, I've shared my testimony many times here about how on that, on that Thursday night in Memorial Stadium that I stood between 11 other of my football players right in the middle of that stack, that row of chairs as they played just as I am without one plea. And I thought, oh, I can't go. What will these guys think of me? I invited them here. They're the dirty, rotten sinners that Jesus needed to save. But I was the dirty, rotten sinner that needed salvation that night and as I gripped the back of that chair, I can tell you today, as if it were yesterday, Jesus spoke to me and he said, Ben, if you don't go now, you never will. And I let my hands loose. And I believe it was at that very moment that Jesus said, I'm going to live with you in your as Lord of your life forever. Yes, I went down and prayed a prayer, but it was the moment that I let go of that pew that God says, I'm here. Mary had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Some people need to have that personal encounter with Jesus for them to respond. The next two are John and Peter. Now, if you don't believe that Jesus has, or that God has a, uh, has a wonderful sense of humor, you're not reading this passage right. John was, was believed to be the youngest of all of the uh, apostles. They get there, and you, you see the story, right? John, who, who would write this in the, in the Bible? I, I was running down there, and I outran Peter, the guy who walked on water. I, ran, I outran him. He not only, he says that twice. I got there first. This is kind of the way I envisioned it. Right? You runners will get this. Pass on the left. Passing on the left. John gets there first. He looks in, but, but this is Pete. This is Pete. That's a different Pete. Pete Rose. The head first slide. That's the way I look at it. I, I know your pastor has a weird sense of humor. Peter slides in. John, John stands outside. He's looking in. Says he had to stoop to look in. Peter slides under him. 
He gets in there. He's like right up. He's up close and personal. He tells you everything. He says, he says the, 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 the windings were all, the body windings were all, and the face covering was rolled up. I mean, that's how close Peter got to it. You see, Peter had to see the details. Peter wanted to know the specifics. He wanted to see the details of what was happening here. He gets up close. And there are people who need that to see Jesus. Any of you ever read Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict? If you haven't, read it. He's actually written two. He's written that one and then More Evidence That Demands a Verdict is the second book that he wrote. He was an atheist, and he went as you know, this educated person, I'm going to prove that the Bible and Jesus are a fallacy. What happened? He got saved. Big time. Got saved. And then he wrote the books about it. You can read all kinds of all kinds of he, he came to the conclusion that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And he decided he was Lord. Most recently, Lee Strobel wrote, wrote the book, and then later they made a movie of it, A Case for Christ. He was an investigative journalist. And he was, he, he was approached with the gospel, and he says, Ah, I can't believe this. He says, Why? And he, he went about, just like he would do any other investigative story, he began investigating, and he came to the conclusion... I can do nothing other than to believe in Jesus as my Savior. Luke chapter 14 talks about this. If you'll turn there, Luke 14, verses 25 to 33. Now large crowds were coming along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not sit down first and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else when the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace, so that none of you can be my disciple who does not give up his own possessions. See, Jesus is talking about People who need to know the details, need to look at it from a perspective that says, I need to know this is real. Because there are a lot of people that are just like what he talks about here. Oh yeah, I want to get saved. 
but they, they want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. They're the ones who start that building project, but they don't have enough money to finish. They don't have enough commitment to finish. And so they walk away. Peter needed to see the details. But John saw and believed. John saw and believed. Now, in, their, in this narrative here of this story, we see three times that God talks, or that the Bible talks about, that either Peter or John saw. And they're all given the same word. But in the Greek, there are three different words. We just don't have that delineation in the English language. Look at verse 5. John chapter 20, verse 5. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. That Greek word means that he perceived and he understood. He saw. But he also perceived what it meant. He understood that it meant he's not here. He's risen. Nobody has stolen the body because would they unwrap it and lay all of that down there? If you're going to steal a body, what are you going to do? You're going to take the whole thing. You're not going to take the time to unwrap it and then carefully stack things on the, where, where they had laid. He saw, he perceived, and he understood. The second word that is used is of Peter. Look at verse 6. And Simon Peter, when he came following him, entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. This word is the same word that where we get our English word theater. And it means to view. He looked at it. He looked at it. He viewed it. But he didn't understand. And look at the final one in verse 8. It says the other disciple, John, who had come first to the tomb when he entered, he saw, and what did he do? He believed. This word in the Greek means he knew. He saw. He knew it was there. You know, it's kind of like when, uh, when I see one of you and I recognize your car. Oh, I know who that is. That's their car. I know Michael's car. I come in the parking lot. Oh, Michael's here. I, I knew it was his car. He knew and he believed. That's all John needed because remember who John was? Remember back during the trials? John had a special relationship with the, with the chief priest, right? He was able to get in to the inner part of the house and he brought Peter with him. See, John was one of those guys that studied 
the scriptures. He was one of those guys that saw what was being said. That's why later he could write all of the things we saw last week about how the Old Testament informs the New Testament. John knew. He saw and believed. But both of them, it says, returned to the house. Peter returned. He wasn't sure. He had just seen with his eyes. Uh, that's all I see there is, is the, the wrappings laying there. John saw and believed. They both left. But there's one more person that we want to talk about. And that's a guy by the name of Thomas. So let's look at John chapter 20 and look at the rest of the chapter. Beginning in verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they will be retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and I put my hand into, him, into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to them, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who do not see and yet believed. Therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Did you see how many times in these verses that Jesus said, peace be with you? See, Jesus brings peace. Most people, before they're ever going to believe, need to understand the peace that Jesus brings. Because what is our life? What is the life of unbelievers? They are struggling. They're trying to make sense of a world that makes no sense without God. They have a big God-sized hole and they're pouring alcohol, and they're pouring drugs, and they're pouring sex, and they're 
pouring whatever kind of thing they can try to fill the hole, and it doesn't work. The only thing that can fill that hole is Jesus. And when they understand that he brings peace, the struggle stops. These guys were scared to death. You know why Jesus didn't knock on the door that day? Because they would, they would have thought the Romans are coming to haul us away to crucify us. So what did Jesus do? He just came through the wall. Shows up in the middle. Hey guys! Long time no see. It's been three days. Peace be with you. He brings them peace. The first thing, it's me. It's Jesus. I'm here. See? See the, see the nail prints? Look at my feet. Look at my side. He brings peace, and people need that peace. John chapter 14, what did Jesus say to his disciples before he left? Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He told them that three days before. In, verse, in chapter 16, These things I have spoken unto you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take care, courage. I have overcome the world. You see, a lot of people need to know that Jesus is the Prince of Peace because their world is in chaos. They're seeking, looking for love in all the wrong places. You've heard that song, right? That's what they're doing. In the world, you will have tribulation. They're in the midst of that, and they need to know, I've got a Jesus that will give you peace. We come to, come to Thomas. <laughs> I, Tom, I feel sorry for Thomas. I mean, he was the guy that missed, was all, always missing stuff. I mean, I, I imagine that when Peter was, uh, was out walking on water, Thomas was down using the bathroom, and he came up, and, and, and Jesus and Peter are in the boat, and says, what did I miss? What's going on? What do you, what, Peter, oh, Peter didn't walk on water. That's just a story. He, I think Peter kind of missed a lot. I mean, why was he, did they send him out to In-N-Out Burger? You going to go get lunch for everybody? We're hungry. Where was Thomas? We don't know. He doesn't say. He's just not there. Eight days. That's a long time to wait. With all these guys going, <laughs> we saw Jesus and you didn't. You see, Thomas, he said he wouldn't believe until he experienced Jesus. He needed to experience Jesus. You see, he could, you could tell him all you wanted. We saw Jesus. We saw the nail prints. But he needed to experience Jesus. And there are people that you will come in contact 
they're not going to believe until they experience Jesus. And some people say, oh, well, we don't want to experience based salvation. I'm telling you what, some people, that's the only way they're going to know. They have to be in the middle of what's happening. That's one of the reasons when you see the Spirit begin to move in a service and it's moving in your heart, you need to respond to that because some people are just waiting for somebody else to step out. Somebody else. I've had people in this congregation say, you know, I, I saw, yeah, we were doing, we were, we were singing a song and I really felt like I needed to come down and, and just kneel in front of the cross and pray. And they didn't. And I said, why? Well, I didn't want to be embarrassed. <laughs> You'll never be embarrassed by Jesus. Because you see, some people are waiting. They're waiting to... I need, to, I need what that person needs. I need the Holy Spirit moving. And when the Holy Spirit begins to move, and this is what happened for Thomas. You see, there's power. There's power in the resurrection. Philippians 3.10 says, that I may know him, I may experience him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. You see, there are some people who need to die to sin. Amen? And they know it. My best friend Tom, in a Pennsylvania parking garage with a needle of heroin sticking out of his arm said God save me or kill me but I can't do this anymore and God says alright pulled the needle out of his arm went home flushed his heroin down the toilet and never had one day of withdrawals Gene sitting right here he'll tell you when God saves you, he saves you completely, doesn't he? Gene had heard the gospel many, many times, but it wasn't until Jesus said, hey, I want to take all of this stuff away from you. I want to take the alcohol away. I want to take the cigarettes away from you. I want to take it all away from you. And that's when Gene got saved. See, Gene needed to know the power of the resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. He needed to die to what was he was holding on to so that he could be resurrected in Jesus. You see, when Thomas find, when Jesus finally shows up eight days later with Thomas, he didn't talk to any of the other disciples. He went directly to Thomas and he said, Thomas, I'm here. Here's my hands. Put your fingers in there. Here's my side. Opened up his robe and he said, here, put your hand right here in my side. Thomas experienced Jesus one-on-one. -on -one. You see, it's nice to have big crusades and it's nice to have these, these great evangelistic meetings, but I can tell you most people come to Jesus one on one. They come to Jesus when somebody says, hey, I want to tell you about a Savior who changed my life. I want you to meet him. What do you need? Do you need to have be restored? Absolutely, he, he is the restorer of everything. 
And when Thomas confessed Jesus, I want you to look at the order here. Thomas confessed Jesus as Lord first and God second. There is no halfway with Jesus. When Thomas confessed Jesus as Lord, then he says yes, because only God can change the human heart. Only God can move into a person and say, you need to be saved. You need to, I can rescue you from whatever you're in. I can take you out of whatever's happening in your life. Some people need to have that personal connection. Some people are going to come to Jesus because Jesus wraps his arms around and whispers in their ear their name. And says, I love you. Other people are going to need to be convinced. Peter had to see the details. He had to know, why should I believe? John, he was just there. He was ready. He saw and believed. And Thomas had to experience Jesus one-on-one. He had to know what Jesus said was absolutely true. We're going to come to the communion time now. I don't know what it took for you to come to Jesus. Sometimes we sometimes we we forget about what that day was like. There was a whole church that did. You've forgotten your first love. Remember what it was like when you got saved? I remember what it was like when I got saved. I couldn't stop telling people about Jesus. We recently had a reunion with the youth pastor who was my youth pastor when I got saved. And I looked at all of these kids and we began sharing the stories. A lot of them were were friends of mine that I went and I said, come with me. Come with me to youth group. I want you to meet a bunch of people who love Jesus. And they just got loved into the kingdom. And they're still loving God today. See, sometimes we we have to go back to that first love. And that first love always starts at the cross. It always starts at the cross. For these folks, it started at the tomb. Because the resurrection was the proof of what Jesus said. Because what did he say? Three days. (laughs) Three days and I will rebuild this temple. Everybody thought he was talking about the big temple in Jerusalem. He was talking about himself. He says, three days I'm going to rise again. And when I do, I'm going to bring all of death and hell with me. You don't ever have to worry about death again. And We need to go back to that sometimes. Refire, rekindle the fire in our spirit that says, you know what? I want to get back to that first love. I want to tell people about Jesus. I want people to know that God changed me.